1: What I think we're seeing, what I think COVID exposed, was the fragility of what we've created. We have the health system has shown fracture lines, social justice, huge fragility and fracture lines all the way through around equity and the way we structure our economic pieces. And that goes for ethnic, gender, sexual orientation, age. You know, we just have every time we've turned our political system has been totally fragile you know made fragile and I think what's happening is some big change is coming
0: how you day how you day that was the voice of Dr. Allen and we are talking about roots roots in multiple senses the metaphorical sense and the literal sense and I love her method she's got a methodology of understanding yourself, understanding your organization, and her journey to discovering that path is, is very, very interesting. You know, she says something about how the relationship between sunlight and photosynthesis mirrors authentic engagement with employees, and we dive into that in the episode. And for those of you that don't remember what photosynthesis is, it's a science class, right? It, 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 it's, it, it's, uh, it's all about the plants and how the plants, you know, become what they are in conjunction with sunlight. But that ability to be able to understand what the roots of engagement are and the roots of relationship are, I think is the key to any sustainable business organization and culture. That's what we dive into in the episode. It's a fun one. And if anyone knows me, I love a good metaphor. Be ready for all the metaphors in this episode. Before we go into the episode, I want to ask you all to please leave your reviews and recommendations on iTunes. And everywhere you listen to podcasts, they truly help with the visibility of the podcast. So thank you so much for, for those of you that have continued to support and share, you know, clip it out, do whatever you need to do to, to, to get the message across. But as many of you, they can share your thoughts on whatever episode you're listening to or maybe even even if it's this episode, it always helps. It's like comments sections in YouTube, right? Or reviews on Amazon. Every single piece of engagement helps drive the visibility of the podcast. Thank you so much. Enjoy the episode. Welcome everybody to another episode of As Told by Nomads. And today's guest is Dr. Kathleen Allen. Now, who is she? She's a management consultant who has helped organizations like the McKnight Foundation, UC Berkeley, and others to employ nature-based methods to enhance an employee engagement and strengthen leadership. She believes in the power of tuning into nature in order to guide our organizational development and leadership. And her work has been featured on many places, including Thrive Global and Maria Shriver. Welcome to the show, Dr. Cliftony. Uh, <laughs>
1: Welcome to the show, Dr. Cliftony. <laughs> Thank you so much. It's really fun and a pleasure to be here.
0: Pleasure is mine. First thing that comes to mind is what is nature-based uh and what is a nature-based method but before i even jump ahead of my curiosity i'm curious to hear a little bit about the younger version of yourself what did you think or imagine that you would be doing when you were much younger
1: i'm one of those people who fell into their career backwards you know who didn't have plans but was more composing a life rather kind of like an artist painting a canvas I didn't really have a picture of who I would be when I grew up. And so, you know, when you're when you think of your life more as an artist rather than as a a planned event, then you, you know, you are basically looking for possibilities and seeing where you might fit and where you might be of service and be welcomed and useful. And so I started out. In higher ed, I was a student at Kent State when all of the killings came down and all of that, and that kind of set me off on a different direction. And so I kind of fell into a job in a residence hall and started a path on higher ed student affairs work and did that uh, for quite a few years, a couple decades. And then about 20 years ago, 21 years ago, I just decided I was getting burnt out on administration and supervising a bunch of people. And I thought, well, maybe I should just take a leap of faith and try to build my own business. And so that's what I did, and I haven't looked back. So I started that in 99 and and I have been really lucky with the clients that have found me. I've never really promoted what I do. Mostly people just find me and they're the fun, they're the people who are trying to push the envelope on how we think about leadership and management. And that time, they were kind of basically thinking, you know, they were all really excellent managers, but they realized they couldn't do it on their own anymore, and they needed more company at the table. And so they were looking for a way to push the envelope on the way we thought about leadership and management. And that became my client base, because I'm a really good thinking partner. That's
0: so interesting, because so you, you got burnt out in higher ed, and then you decided to to you know go on your own. I imagine, though, as you were going on your own, you were picking up on some concepts because the the idea of a nature-based methods uh, method rather methodology doesn't just come about from I don't know jumping off on your own. It sounds like you you did some and you did a lot of observation. I don't want to I don't want to assume. I'm just curious as to that path.
1: So these same clients were actually the one that set set me on this path. So at that time, they were realizing that these kind of siloed organizations where everybody kind of protecting their territory was not serving the organization or the future of the organization. I, I, you know, I had my doctorate in leadership, theoretically, you know, I was pretty well versed in the field, but I really couldn't find good leadership and management books that really helped us understand how to redesign organizations. So they worked as an integrated system. Um, not a competitive kind of scarce, scarcity kind of based system. So, my pattern has always been to read outside the field and I ask the question okay, what systems, what fields actually think about things in an integrated way? And that led me to sustainability and principles of sustainability and permaculture. And so I was reading these principles, this book on uh, the principles of 10 principles of sustainability, and there was this tiny little paragraph or two in that on biomimicry. And I picked up that book, and biomimicry is the study of nature and looking at nature as a model, measure, and mentor for people. And at that time, biomimicry was primarily looking to connect engineers and biologists to redesign things like the shape of windmills so they'd be more efficient by, by mimicking the fin of the whale or the insects that you find in the, the rainforest that have a, an enzyme that sloughs off dust that now coats my windows in my house so I don't have to wash them so often. So that's kind of where they were focused but my world has always been the human world. So I looked and I read this book, Biomimicry by Jeannie Benyus, and I have notes written all the way through on the margins on how to apply these to human organizations, and that started my experimentation. And because of the great clients that I had, we've kind of been on a 20-year journey on and off on playing around with these ideas and how to apply them to the organizations.
0: So you said you started this journey as a, an artist and you were figuring out what to put in canvas. It sounds like you even continue to go deeper into the artistry world though, With the, if we're playing with a metaphor here, because you, you found other layers and coats of paint to, to, to lather on there because you needed to have more depth the 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 foundation of what you are you're painting and the bigger picture I'm gathering is people can be better leaders if they oh, yeah. own into these skill sets so let's break it down then in your mind when you're thinking about nature you know nature based methods what is the first thing that an organization should focus on
1: well first of all there are two elements that I use in my book leading from the roots one is what is fundamental to nature's design. And how can we apply these, these uh, fundamental design principles to our organizations? And the second is, is how do we shift and start seeing our, our people and our organizations as living systems? So when you have an organization and you stuff a bunch of people inside it, why would we think it's a machine? Why would we think it's an object? Why would we think that the organization itself wouldn't also be alive? It's filled with living people. And so when I always look, when I see complex systems like organizations today, I realize that the strategy has to come from the pattern, not from breaking it down into its parts. But almost all of our business strategy is built on going down into the parts, analyzing it to death, and then figuring out where things are broken, fix the parts, build it back up. But complexity, which is what we have now, we have dynamic complexity in our organizations that are highly interdependent and affected by the external environment. So we have to start thinking on whole different levels. And one of them is that in complexity is that the meaning of how the system dynamics is working shows up in the pattern. And that's where strategy has to be pulled down. So there are patterns to living systems and if we want to understand organizations today if we assume that they're a living entity instead of a machine which is what's been traditional in our in our literature and most of our leadership and management practice then it requires us to start thinking literally differently about the organizations and observe differently so i have found living organizations to be much better at helping us understand what's going on in the organization. Those patterns that follow along living systems.
0: So redefining business organizations as living systems rather than rigid structures, which is something you yes. in the book.
1: Absolutely.
0: That rigidity is, is actually part of the problem. In- it it's- is.
1: Rigidity basically in nature would say that the system is about ready to collapse the more rigid you become and what we what we find is that we get hung up on forms humans love forms and and we don't understand how the external environment is changing the purpose of our organization and that our forms no longer fit the purpose of what we're trying to achieve but when we rigidly hold on to those forms we basically are setting ourselves up for a, a business collapse of our model
0: and we're looking at the world now you know we're very much in a world is defined by pandemic, right? Yeah. Pandemic has has shaken up a lot of systems, has revealed a lot of things that were faulty foundations, but it's also caused people to change how they interact with people, you know, whether it's virtually or building businesses or hiring or gathering feedback. Mm-hmm. And this is, you know, along the lines of what you're saying. It's a it's a living constant system. But my question then is in this world of social distancing and, and COVID, how would you apply, you know, your methodology to someone who's, you know, thinking of creating authentic engagement or just really modeling a great leadership that can start a
1: movement? Engagement. So in nature, what's interesting is that we don't have a problem with engagement in nature. If you're not engaged, you're dying basically. So it changes the whole way we think about it. So traditional management, we think about how do we get people to engage, but in nature, it's a naturally ongoing action that happens in nature. So for example, I've talked with a lot of different people at different levels of organizations. When I go in and do culture audits for organizations and Here's the thing about what's stopping engagement. It's really in the mental framework we have about the organization. So if they think that the organization is owned by the people at the top of the system, you know, the CEO, the vice president or leadership team, then when the leadership team comes to to folks farther down in the organization and says, help us solve this problem, they sit back and say, well, you're the owner. You know, that's your job. My job is to do what you tell me to do. So basically, they've been given the message that when, we, when the organization is looked at as a machine, then everybody in it begins to be treated as if they're objects, cogs in a wheel. And everybody knows when they're objectified, whether they say it or not. And when you're objectified, you're not engaged. You're complying with the directives that you're given. You're not bringing your your Friday night self-organizing to your day job. And so nature runs on self-organization and purpose. So great leadership, if they were looking to nature to learn would be to how do I unleash self-organization? Instead of what do I control? It's what do I unleash? Instead of who can I get to do this? It's what interactions that will kind of create something to make it work. Instead of overcoming or dampening down resistance, you're trying to figure out how do I incorporate resistance because um, resistance is required for wholeness, for understanding. Instead of trying to figure out how to make change, you're trying to transform the energy that already exists in the system because living systems are dynamic. They're always in movement. They're not static. It's not like you have to change from a resting place. It's already in movement. So you're transforming the energy in the system.
0: Resistance is required for wholeness. I, that that's is huge. Oh my gosh, huge. that is
1: crazy. Huge.
0: Ah, sorry. That 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 that's such a powerful quote. So wow. It We're was, it was sticking with this with metaphor here because I I was just, you know I, I was doing a lot of research and one of the things that I, I, I came about was. It came across rather was you saying that the relationship between sunlight and photosynthesis mirrors authentic engagement with employees. And I think you touched on it there a little bit. Not only did you take me back to science class that I I avoided a lot (laughs) when I grew up, but I do remember that that concept of of photosynthesis and it's what you're saying. So you're, you're saying that there are multiple opportunities for authentic engagement if we mirror what's happening out there in nature.
1: So sunlight is interesting because it's a free resource that powers all life on the earth. But sunlight falls on the moon, but there's no green stuff on the moon. So it never gets translated into energy and nutrients. But on the earth, sunlight requires photosynthesis to turn the energy, the free energy, into something that uh, supports all life. So I'd look at organizational photosynthesis so that this is kind of how my brain works in the uh, creative composing. It's like, okay, so if this is a dynamic in nature, it starts with a generous act, but it requires a generous response to manifest its full power. Then I ask the question, well, what's the form of organizational photosynthesis? And what's an organizational form of energy, a source of energy that we don't see? So most of our organizations think people, labor, talent, whatever you want to call it, money and resources, mostly raw resources and natural resources, drive all of the assets that we have. But I ask, nature provokes me to ask what other sources of energy aren't we seeing in our organizations? And I think that human energy is something we don't see. So every Monday morning, people wake up and decide to bring positive, negative, or neutral energy to our workplaces every single day. And what then the photosynthesis, which is what is the leadership process that tends to create conditions where positive energy shows up instead of negative energy or passive or neutral energy. So I think it's the quality of our relationships, the the, do are they reciprocal or are they hierarchical? Do we have this kind of deep respect for what everybody's uniquely bringing to the organization? I think it's purpose. The power of purpose is huge when we align with a higher shared purpose. Then we tend to have more meaning in our work, and we tend to show up in a different way. Yeah. And authenticity. You know, are we? able to show up fully as ourselves in this space and those leaders and those organizations that create those conditions they don't have a problem with engagement.
0: I love that I love that because it's it's just a reminder of a lot of the basics and you you've studied uh, leadership throughout time and I'm sure you've seen some patterns and you've seen some things that work and some things that don't work regardless of the newest invention or things that were defined by whether it's Industrial Revolution, technology, now COVID. Are there consistent things that are important for leadership? That is a question I'll ask. And and based on what you just said, it sounds like that passion, that bigger picture, that that ability to, to see people, and and, and mirror authenticity is always something that will continue throughout the, you know, uh, time.
1: Kind of deep wisdom. Yeah, it's a deep wisdom thing. Uh, And we know though, even in our research on really great teams is that you talk to those folks and they say, my manager knows me as a unique person. They help me manifest and bring my skills and abilities, my gifts to the team and help me make that happen. Nature is—it does a lot of things. Like one of the things it does is it rewards cooperation. But again, most of our traditional default in organization is to build competitive zero-sum games. That's
0: right. That is so true. That is so true. I can't. I mean, I know we're both management consultants, but I see this all the time. I think the same way. I don't know that that helps.
1: It doesn't. And nature isn't designed on zero-sum power games. It's designed on cooperation and it banks on diversity. So if we were going to look at nature as a model and a measure and a mentor, and I think a muse, actually, nature wouldn't ask, how do we become more diverse? Nature would say, what are the risks of homogeneity? So in nature.
0: So, So people listening, you can't, you can't, See me because this is an audio interview but she said something and i, I was just you know when you, you hear something the kids say bars like you just drop some bars <laughs> you just you just said something that was so deep and i was like whoa okay yes nature wouldn't ask that i didn't mean to interrupt you today, yes, this right. so deeply affected by so that i love the inter-
1: interaction and i love the interruption so please continue but you know in nature there are if you're less diverse, you're less resilient, you're more fragile. So as living systems evolve and as nature evolves to higher and higher levels of ecosystems, they become more generous, more resilient, and it's banked on diversity. So fundamentally, diversity is required for the evolution of the system. And this is how it works in nature. So when you're Think of a monocrop versus a prairie, so um, corn or soybeans. They all have one kind of root system. They all look the same. They're all planted in rows. And if a tornado comes through, a hailstorm, a huge flood or a huge drought, they basically get wiped out. And the whole season is wiped out. So that's what they mean by fragile. That's how nature would define fragility. But a prairie is built on lots of diversity of plant life in the prairie. They have deep root structures, they have middle sized root structures, they have surface. and so if there's a five inch rainstorm that comes down, the surface structures get saturated and then the, the next level of root structures draw that down. and then when they get saturated, the deeper root structure gets draw, draws all that moisture down. so none of the moisture is run off. And the other neat thing about nature is that so and it reverses in in a drought, that moisture that's deep in the soil gets drawn back up to support what's happening. But it's all built on diversity, on the diversity of plant life. And in old growth forests and in coral reefs and mature prairies, we have a lot of mutual cooperation that goes on between diverse species and plant life. And that's what makes it a generous system. Because in nature, while nature doesn't think, it does work on instinct. And as it evolves, we realize that the mycelium that runs underneath the forest floor spreads information, nutrients, and connects all of the plant life and tree life and the forest floor. The You know, we we have stories of hawks and, and foxes, hunting together because the bird can see where the prey is and the fox kills it and then the birds get to eat off the carrion so they the more diverse you become the more mutualistic and synergistic your relationships are and the more generous so in a type 3 ecology which is like an old growth ecology they don't take the nutrients out of the soil to drive the life of the forest they exchange it among each other and so there's more energy more nutrients more life in the system more resilience more regeneration and we just have it all wrong in our heads societally you know we think that diversity is a risk nature would say the lack of diversity is a risk
0: You know, to use nature, sometimes with diversity and inclusion, I think some people have this uh, crabs in the barrel mentality, like the zero-sum game you said. You know, it sounds like we're looking at the wrong uh, part of nature there, when there, yeah. there are multiple examples of the country there. Something else I wanted to talk to talk about is, and I know you brought it up in the book, it's this idea of self-organization, which you also touched on earlier. But I, I want to talk about self-organization with the context of understanding that the new generation of, of workers are more independent. Uh, COVID is even making it even more so. How can people be better self-organized and how can we motivate a bunch of people? I don't know, well, we might not necessarily have the same team structures within different organizations, but still be focused on advancing their careers and you know, occasionally collaborating with other independent workers.
1: Yeah. So I think self-organization is the secret sauce for healthy organizations. But in nature, self-organize. Everybody self-organizes in nature. Birds, ants, bees, small and large. Everybody is self-organizing. Trees grow. Everything evolves, but they're all self-organizing. They're all taking the initiative. But the other way, nature organize holds the the self-organization in a kind of a a loose kind of container is that is through purpose so if nature had a purpose all of its designs would be said to it creates conditions conducive to the life of future generations so basically it's a life it moves towards life it creates conditions where the next life continues to thrive and organizations that I've worked with that have a very strong how do we thrive 100 years from now kind of mentality, they think about leadership and budgeting very differently. They think about leadership as a relay race. So what is this leadership team going to leave to the next leadership team? That, And can we leave them with resources and with an organization that has even more possibilities for it to thrive 100 years from now? And instead of just trying to figure out who gets what money, they think about investments that will help the organization be stronger in the future. And we don't think that way. We think short term. So let's get back to self-organization. Oh, you want to go?
0: No, no, I'm, I'm, I'm just <laughs> really, really reflecting what you said. But yeah, I'm very curious with self-organization.
1: So self-organization requires a purpose. And then it's really just unleashing the natural energy in the system. In humans, what we've learned from COVID is a whole bunch of people have been able to manage and do their work without micromanagement, because proximity, micromanagement thrives in proximity. The closer you are, the more you can look over somebody's shoulder, the more you can kind of amplify your control over people. But, you know, we basically, we've been betting on the capacity for humans to self-organize through the whole COVID pandemic. And they have paid off for us in spades. I mean, it's just been super, super uh, amazing how productivity. But we've also discovered that we don't necessarily have to work eight hours in our seat to um, be productive. We have this kind of flow, organic flow in our work um, that allows us to also balance ourselves or maybe having kids in the background or facilitating their learning while you're getting your job done or whatever. So there are certain characteristics that help humans self-organize. But the first one is you have to assume that just like the bees and ants, humans can self-organize too. And if you have any doubt about that, just look at our social lives and say, we've been self-organizing on how we want to spend our time on the weekends. Or who, what friends, or what? What do we want to do together? We've been doing that all the time, whether we've been bringing that to work or not. So we are a part of nature. So we are filled with self-organization as well. But our organizations are often designed to dampen that down or to eliminate it entirely. We create these dependent, dependent relationships or codependent relationships where people feel like they have to suck up to the boss in order to keep their job or in order to get a raise. And so it shuts down self-organization. So how do we change our organization? We change how what we uh, expect, we change how we write our job descriptions, we change what our performance appraisal systems look like. And we start asking questions like, expecting people to initiate be able to initiate and organize their work and how do they how can they demonstrate that and then we expect people to be able to align their work with the larger purpose and mission of the organization so it's not just self-organization gone wild but it's self-organization towards purpose and then we we need to have people in human systems who are emotionally intelligent and uh, are self-aware and understand, you know, how they can learn what what is getting in their way and have a reasonable understanding of what their strengths are. And then finally, and part of that emotional piece is we don't want people spreading drama and trauma throughout our human networks in our organizations, and that's being able to manage your emotions. So those are the kind of critical capacities that we want to expect and we want to encourage, we want to supervise around and give feedback around, and we want to evaluate as part of our performance reviews.
0: Certainly a lot to impact for sure. And I hope that anyone listening right now is taking a moment to digest each of these concepts because I, I do think a lot of these things that you're saying require a lot of reflection, especially for us to be as honest you know, with ourselves about where we are in in the process. Some of us might be nation stage, middle stage, later stage, and some of us, you know, listening might be leaders, right? And you, you might have heard something here that might have triggered a, a response for you to to really do a better <laughs> form of assessment uh, or auditing within your organization to see if these are the type of leaders you have. Um, but with leadership, I, I want us to zoom out a little bit. I want us to zoom out a little bit because I, I think the other aspect of what's happened in the last, yeah, I guess year now, <laughs> is the idea of many people seeing their leaders in a different light and many leaders yeah. having to adapt. And some have been successful, some haven't. It's, it's, it's Some people have led to a change of power. Some movements have come about, regardless of how people feel about whatever movements are, but in different parts of the world, different movements have come about. I want to put on your cultural I want you to put on your cultural commentary uh, hat here to observe what you've you know seen and then communicate to us what you feel like is working and what isn't working.
1: What I think we're seeing, what I think COVID exposed, was the fragility of what we've created. We have the health system has shown fracture lines, social justice, huge fragility and fracture lines all the way through around equity and the way we structure our economic pieces. And that goes for ethnic, gender, sexual orientation, age. You know, we just have, every time we've turned, our political system has been totally fragile, you know, made fragile. And I think what's happening is some big change is coming. So, I think that when you know when I said that rigidity basically is a predictor in an organization of when its business model is going to collapse. Mm-hmm. so rigidity in nature is literally when a fire comes through a forest. it's It's what creates it it has a purpose in nature. It, it's It's a major release and letting go. and then it captures all of those resources that are then released in the system and plows them into an exploration and experimentation of who we can become next. And then you launch with experimentation, and then you create a new sustaining kind of framework of how you want to be. So I've been tracking this for a while. And I think that COVID has just kind of amplified how the current system that we've generated is fundamentally a degenerating system. It's um destroying the environment it's destroying the air it has ripple effects on all of the the individual and collective health that we carry as human beings the whole systems have been developed plus the legal system to actually support a degenerating system a degenerating system has less more fragility less resilience less vitality it works for some, but it's fundamentally exploitive at its core. So when you exploit and extract and you build a system that is about the enclosure of power and wealth, that's when your whole common good is actually diminishing. And unfortunately, we have created a system globally to create a degenerating system and COVID has caused us in some way, shape or form to stop the freneticness of day to day work and see it in a different way. So just eyes are clear, I think, as a result. And I think underneath this long stretch, and it's going to continue for a while, because it's going to take time to roll out the vaccine. We've got these new variants coming. And so we probably have another six to eight months of hanging out with ourselves. So there's time for a lot of deep change that's going on. So for me, I'm looking to figure out what does a regenerative economy look like? What does it what does it look like if we have a worldview not on colonialism and consumerism? but on sacredness and caring in our relationship with nature and the planet and each other? What does it look like to harvest resources in a regenerative way? What does it look like to build organizational cultures that are built on cooperation instead of exploitation? You know, right now, we exploit talent. The company gets lots of money, but we don't equally distribute that money. We unequally distribute the money that is driven by the talent in our organizations. So how could we create a different purpose that is really about ecological and social well-being instead of the enclosure of wealth and power?
0: That is so fascinating.
1: That comes from the First Nations um, uh, Development Institute. They're bringing a kind of an indigenous perspective to... The deep wisdom of people who are very place-based over time and see this relationship with each other in community and with the land and how they would see a regenerative economy so that's what i'm beginning to think about
0: yeah i'm thinking about what you're saying and, and there's i just yeah i don't have anything to disagree with it but it is it is a concept and a worldview that many have to come to accept when people are talking about things going back to the way they were I keep thinking about the fact that it's a it's a new normal, right? E- even what happened with GameStop, right? With, uh, mm-hmm. And all this, right? The, the, yes, the
1: GameStop stonks. is is a very interesting. Yes,
0: right. It's the stonks. but people are there's a new realization that people have right now. Someone in a group of people already can say, "We're going to start a movement. We're going to fight this. We're going to fight that," and it it's it's uprooting the structures that have held for so long, but. I don't know. It's just, I think people are coming into their powers in different ways. And it, yeah. it, it's to be interesting to see how it actually gets used. So.
1: I think so. And so now nature, you know, change doesn't happen. Change doesn't, you know, kind of happen and then stop. Change is always moving. There's a thing called the adaptive cycle. So form always mm-hmm. follows function in nature. And part of that is that, it's always moving and changing it explores it launches it sustains it releases like a infinity loop on its side and it and it doesn't get stopped but in human systems because we have emotions like fear and greed and trust and distrust and things like that we our emotions get in the way of this adaptive cycle in our own lives and and so the point is is that the system is changing all the time but there are iterative levels to it so there's kind of an upstroke of a new experiment and then that gets dampened down but i used to do long distance biking and so you know the the upstroke is literally powered by the downstroke so the downstroke is the trying to stop something that's trying to get born But in South Africa, as they went back through to see how South Africa moved from apartheid to post-apartheid, what they discovered was a series of iterations, kind of like when young black Afrikaners started breaking curfew, for example, that was an upswing. And then it was dampened down by, you know, kind of a strong police state kind of response. And then other citizens in South Africa started protesting the jailing. And that was another upswing. And then that was, you know, dampened down. And then there was another upswing. And so they had a whole series of things. And then they believe that there's a kind of a symbolic moment in time where really great leaders kind of feel that the system is ready to transform. And they think that that happened when de Klerk visited Mandela in jail. And that was a symbolic act that the country itself, based on all of these iterative changes have what were ready to shift and then when what helped them shift were all of these upswings like what are the civil rights of everybody in this country etc and then they transform and it's still hard work you know uh, there's still attractions back to defaults and things like that so if you think about the iterations that have been going on like Occupy Wall Street and you know, we've had protests, uh, women's march, black men's march. You have the, you also have the capital riots, which nature would tell me to see these things more as, as connected events. That the 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 riots at the Capitol actually is a downstroke. It's a resistance that shows up. When but resistance only shows up when people begin to think that real change is gonna happen and their lives are gonna be different.
0: Says resistance leads to wholeness. Said yes. yes. So this is this is the, the callback there. Huh yeah. No, it it is interesting. We're talking to the Doctor Kathleen Allen, as you can see, very, very deep. Deep roots <laughs> conversation. But um <laughs> she's the author of Leading from the Roots Nature-Inspired Leadership Lessons for Today's World so where can we get your book because I, I don't want you to give it all away but I think you've given us <laughs> than enough to think about uh, but yeah, I can support you
1: <laughs> yeah you can get it at your local bookstore your independent bookstore Amazon it's on Amazon and Barnes & Noble and you can get it online and, and probably in April or May we'll have also a video or I mean an audio book coming up But and you can follow me on if you like these ideas. I write a weekly blog, and so you're you can always sign up for my blog at kathleenallen.net website. And you can follow me on Twitter uh, at Dr. Kathy Allen, that's a small D R, Kathy Allen, or find me on LinkedIn at Kathy Allen.
0: I'm not sure I'll put that in the show notes, but this has been a real pleasure. And I can't let you go though without asking the final question, which is my mission statement reframed as a question, and that is, how do you use your difference to make a difference?
1: Well, see, this again is informed by nature for me now, is that nature is an interdependent, complex, dynamic system. And so is our world today. And so are all of our organizations. So one of the things that I've been using the pandemic to do is to try to dump out of my brain all of these lessons that I've learned about organizations that really served another somebody else rather than the system. And one of them is the idea that change always starts at the top. So in an interdependent system, lots of individual action can coalesce to transform the system. And when all of the years that I thought you had, you couldn't move a change event in an organization unless the president or CEO said yes. What I now see through COVID lens clearing is that that basically let the people who were succeeding in the old paradigm decide what things were threatening or not, and so they could just stop change that was trying to bubble up by holding this idea, change starts at the top. So when you change that to change, any of us can show up and start acting in alignment with the world that we want to see, any single one of us. And then as that number increases in an interdependent world that has power and it changes and transforms the system. So now I'm kind of thinking about, okay, I'm gonna hang out here in St. Cloud Minnesota, and I'm going to change the world. I don't have to be a president of a country to do it. Right. All right. I have to do is spread my ideas, you know, work with people from this framework, and together we start building energy in the system for something new to happen. Wonderful.
0: Okay. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. I, I really enjoyed your ideas, and, I, and I'm <laughs> hoping that you come at it. But it's, it's a great way to really Step back and look at what's happening around us, and see what we can model. So, thank you for taking the time to remind us uh, that the the answers are always around us. We just have to look. So, thank you.
1: You're very welcome. This was a real pleasure to meet you and talk with you today. Thank you.
0: Pleasure is mine. Until next time, <laughs> ladies, and gentlemen, and gender non-binary individuals, use your to
1: make a difference. Yeah. This is great. Thank you.
0: You've just been listening to the ass Told by Nomads. Podcast. For more ways to reach out to Tayo and to use your difference to make a difference, head over to www.tayoroxen.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row?